Hello, I'm Lina Armoudou. Welcome to Health Chat. The World Health Organization says autism spectrum disorder affects one in every 270 people worldwide. The condition is normally characterized by abnormal patterns of behavior or activities such as difficulty with communication and poor eye contact. These autistic disorders include early infantile autism, Asperger's syndrome, and pervasive developmental disorder. Autism poses a special challenge in Africa where many parents are confronted with the lack of diagnosis and adequate resources. Furthermore, uh, various myths and misunderstandings complicate access to autism resources on the continent. In Côte d'Ivoire, autism, a neurodevelopmental disorder, is still poorly diagnosed and all too often poorly perceived in society. But for several years now, a psychosocial center has offered vulnerable children with disabilities appropriate care at the heart of learning, dance, a therapy that already seems to have proven effective. The story by Yasin Sio. Narrated by Justine Mullen Kadzenkin. At this social center for children with special needs, the school day starts with a lesson in choreography. The students enrolled here range in age from 3 to 22, but faced with the rhythm and their teacher, Matthew Kouadio, all are equal and want to learn. This professional is today one of few dance therapists in the country. With two sessions per week, it allows these vulnerable children, generally poorly regarded in Ivorian society, to accept their disability for the time of a dance. Dance therapy is sound, rhythmic, and a transmission of positive waves. This allows the children to be balanced. We work on movement and expression, and therefore they can express themselves freely without constraint. Dance allows these children to take full control of their bodies and movements. Those who are often marginalized together can create social ties. The objective is not the technique, but the social bond, the well-being and valuing these people and their health. In short, how through the choreography we can help a child to develop their motor skills. Each of the nearly 90 youngsters registered here gets an individualized plan following assessment and diagnosis. The center receives little, if any, government aid. It relies on registration fees and donor support. A priestly mission for Director Miala Torre. L'objective du centre, c'est d'abord the objective of the center is, first of all, independence and communication. When they arrive here, we teach them hello, thank you, goodbye, the basics. And when we see that we will see their capacity for social integration. Some come out quickly, others it's slower, and it takes years. The curriculum is adapted to the child. We don't want to take the classic program of the normal school and tell him, here, do this. It is necessary to break down the activities so that they understand what it is about. That specialized support gladdens parents like Celestine. She has seen her 15-year-old son build independence since coming to the center. 
She's also the president of the Parents Association, and it was difficult to find treatment for Ivory Coast youngsters with disabilities. Before discovering the center, she had taken her son to an occupational therapist once a week, and a special ed teacher came to their house twice a week. Each specialist cost about $33 a week. Her child also attended school. If the center did not exist, I would have continued to do as before. At first, I went to an occupational therapist, and it was quite expensive. Speech therapists and other things. Everything is more expensive than being in a center like here. It's more economical for us than being with so many different specialists. The director says he hopes to relocate the current center to a larger site to accommodate more children and to build a second center so that children with different needs always have a place to dance. For more on autism, I spoke with Susan Quisera Gakwavu, behavior assistant and founder of No Life Autism Foundation, who shares some of the main issues surrounding the condition in Africa. Susan Gakwavu, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Autism is a developmental disorder that can be seen around the world. How can we understand the condition? Autism is a complex developmental disability that hinders, you know, our children from way back to two years and up. And it interacts their social interactions and communication and also, you know, different sensory uh, sensitivities and uh, delay in speech and also, you know, some different disorders. So at what point should parents be concerned regarding autism because we know that children at a certain age they don't speak and they start developing you know one two years old i would say actually two years because that's when a child begins to communicate to uh, try to speak and that's when a parent recognizes that you know what there is something that is not right with my child and what are some of the telltale signs that uh, we should look for? Delay in speech, number one. And also uh, different behaviors. Uh, there's that shyness. And also uh, kids not wanting to interact with other children. So pretty much at that age, those are the things we look out. Up until now, we don't really know the causes of autism. What can you tell us about that? Exactly. No one knows the cause and no one knows, uh, you know, the cure. But what we do uh, when we recognize, you know, the, that there is a, um, a difference in this child, then we seek, you know, medical attention. And then, uh, you know, we follow up with, you know, what the doctor said. What are the options in terms of treatment? Because... We understand that it's a condition that can be, cannot be cured. So what are the treatment options? Uh, the treatment, I would say, uh, pretty much is the therapist. You know, I mean the therapy and the therapist, definitely. The therapy which give them uh, depending on their needs, you know. So we work with uh, uh, therapists, you know, uh, and also there are some who really need uh, medical attention, like, um, you know, medication. There are those who are really on medication. But mostly, I think they need therapists.
There are many challenges that parents and, and children who are affected have to deal with. And uh, we understand that uh, in Africa, there are, there are more challenges because of lack of resources, even misconceptions and myths around autism. What are some of the misconceptions and myths that you've come across in your practice? They name those children, you know, they are cast, they are bewitched. Those are pretty much uh, things I've heard uh, from Africa. And uh, this has definitely caused a lot of uh, stigma, you know, uh, within the children and the parents. And I think because of that, they, in, they tend to leave these children into their homes, keep them, you know, in the homes, don't take them out because, you know, of what people think they are. So it's a big challenge, and uh, I think that's where the problem is, you know, not knowing autism is, and they're giving it different names. So how can we increase the help for children in Africa? Uh, you talked about awareness. That's very important. But when, what can be done further to help uh, children with autism and the, pa the, the parents on the continent? Yeah, uh, we need to continue, you know, uh, do the awareness, uh, be the spokes, you know, uh, people to those children, and also um, encouraging, you know, parents. Talk about it, you know, let the parents, you know, uh, engage the parents, because uh, through my experience, I've seen a lot of uh, 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 changes when you open up with the parents and talk about it and then encourage them, tell them what it is because being, you know, to be honest, they don't know what it is and what they go with is what people are saying, you know, that so-and-so's child is bewitched or is cursed or is mad, you know, and uh, one thing I've also seen, they end up taking these children into those uh, hospitals, the mentally you know, hospitals, yet they are not supposed to be there. But because of lack of information, lack of what, you know, it is, they don't know what autism is, they just try to do what they feel, you know, they can do. But awareness, definitely, um, and also um, conferences and, uh, and, 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 and uh, those programs we put out you know, talk about it with parents. Uh, um, the, the workshops has really, really helped them. Now, with the COVID-19 pandemic this past year, how have you seen the situation for children of autism? Uh, how, how has it affect, affected the children and their parents? We all know what uh, COVID has done. It has affected each and every one of us in different ways. But when it comes to those special children, it's uh, a big challenge, you know, not only in America, I mean, uh, in Africa, but in America, you know, like my organization here, uh, we, we had to close and we had to give services, you know, individually, privately, you know, in homes, in group homes. But imagine in Africa, whereby, you know, such a, a, an organization closes and the children will go back home and they won't get what they've been getting. Remember that now they, they are going back to their, you know, 
probably call it what, hard life, you know, yet they've been in an environment where they had coped, where they have learned, where they have engaged, where they have identified the weakness, the strength. Now they are going back to zero, you know. So a lot of parents are really struggling with these children, and it's because of definitely uh, this uh, COVID-19. When I talk about uh, the struggle the parents are having mentally, you know, emotionally, they're not sleeping. You know, one of the parents actually sent me a video of her son the whole night without sleeping, mentally, emotionally. So they are affected in so many ways, you know. And uh, this has really caused a lot of dysfunctioning in families and, you know, uh, getting also some sickness, you know, mentally, you know. So it's, uh, it's a big challenge you know, in Africa. And and even for the children, right, you talk about how, the, you know, maybe some of the, the care that where you see progress, maybe there are some setbacks, maybe? Oh, yeah, big time. Because now, let me say that um, it has been on a, on a schedule of waking up in the morning, having breakfast, you know, taking a shower, having lunch, doing different activities, now, at their home, they're doing nothing. It's just sleeping. So it has also affected them mentally and also physically because some of them were able to, those who are not even running or doing some yoga exercise, you know, when they we started with them, they were doing much better. But now imagine home. They can't get those activities. They can't get the support, you know. We give them. So it's really affected affecting them mentally. How do you reverse the setback? Actually, one of the things that I've seen now, not like we could do it everywhere, but is sending the therapists to their homes, you know, once in a while, at least once a week, you know, go visit them, uh, do a little bit of uh, therapy and there, um, take a walk with them and, uh, you know, uh, financial, you know, help, uh, remember, everything was closed. They don't have food, you know. So those are the things also that uh, we were able to uh, support with those families. What is your final message about autism? My final uh, message on autism is to keep, you know, the good work, be the advocate for these children, uh, push it, you know, push it, let them get... Uh, the policy, you know, let them be recognized, you know, in their countries, let them know that they are part of the, you know, part of the world, you know, and uh, it will take me and you to be the advocate to make that change, you know, make a difference, make an impact, you know, and not giving up because it's so easy to give up on them. So let's continue you know, to push the narrative of what autism is, not just, you know, what people think it is, and then we will make a difference. We'll make the world a better place. Indeed, making a world a better place is what we hope for. Thank you so much, Susan Gakwavu, for your time. Thank you for having me, Lenard. That was Susan Quizera Gakwavu, Behavior Assistant and founder of No Life Autism Foundation. You are listening to Health Chat on Voice of America. It is time for a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 
This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. The World Health Organization and Africa Center for Disease Control say we all can help fight the global pandemic by frequently washing our hands with soap and water or using hand sanitizers. For more information on protecting yourself and others, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa Center for Disease Control. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Welcome back to Health Chat. Surges of the COVID-19 Omicron variant called BA.2 have put countries around the world on alert. It's now the dominant variant in the U.S. where a fourth booster has been approved for people older than 50. VOA's Laura Bowman has more. Since March, China has been battling its biggest COVID-19 wave yet, with cases peaking in Shanghai. The government locked down the city of more than 24 million people and is requiring mass testing. Public transportation is now halted and the once busy streets are largely empty. In the United Kingdom, lines are long at airports and flights are grounded by flight staff sicknesses. England has seen a new surge of COVID-19 in recent weeks with infection rates at their highest since the pandemic began. First detected in January, BA2, which is a sublineage of Omicron, is now the main cause of COVID-19 cases globally. And it's the dominant strain in the United States, accounting for 72% of variants circulating in the country, according to U.S. health authorities. There is no evidence that BA2 results in more severe disease compared with the BA1 variant, nor does it appear to be more likely to evade immune protection than BA1. But BA2 does appear to be more transmissible than BA1. The U.S. government is putting a focus on long COVID, with the Department of Health and Human Services leading efforts to improve care for people with the condition, offer education about it, and advance research. Long COVID is real, and there is still so much we don't know about it. Millions of Americans may be struggling with lingering health effects, ranging from things that are easier to notice, like troubling, trouble breathing or irregular heartbeats, to less apparent but potentially serious conditions related to the brain or mental health. Meanwhile, U.S. President Joe Biden received his second booster shot, urging Americans over 50 who've just been cleared to do so to get one too. Laurel Bowman, VOA News, Washington. Some lawmakers in South Sudan's Unity State Legislative Assembly have delivered a petition to the national government in Juba over environmental pollution in the area. The MPs, most of whom represent Koch County, allege that the oil company operating there has disposed of chemical waste in water catchment areas near civilian settlements, putting their health at risk. MP Peter Dakrak from Koch County says the Sod Petroleum Operating Company has been disregarding proper waste management protocols and exposed people and their animals to health risks. Images circulated online show chemical spills floating on top of a water pond in an area said to be in Koch County. 
Deng Kai Deng files from war. A dozen lawmakers in Unity State's Transitional Legislative Assembly have written a petition to the national government in Juba over what they describe as environmental pollution in the area. The MPs, most of whom represent Koch County, say Sat Petroleum Operation Company, or SPOC, disposed of chemical waste in water catchment areas near civilian settlements, putting their lives at risk. Gadlua Gadwit is a Unity State MP from Koch County. The oil companies that operate in Sarjado oil field mismanage a chemical waste and pour that uh, uh, waste, uh, chemical waste into a river. And that the river is called Wangtar. That leads to the host communities. And then the host communities that, that are using uh, water salt from, from that uh, river. There are a lot of uh, impact on our communities living in it, in within the, the, the area we were worried about the life of our communities because the situation now as i am speaking now is very 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 bad another unity state lawmaker peter duck Riak, says there have been several cases of miscarriages and birth defects including children born with no limbs toes or hands he says national authorities in juba particularly the national ministry of environment should investigate the oil company and hold it liable for the pollution it causes in the area so it it, it affects the community for example a woman may be pregnant, completing nine to eight months, eight months to nine months, but at the hand it appears that there's no pregnancy. Some women, they deliver, they give birth to a dead child. A child dies, but sometimes they born, a born child have no legs, sometimes have no uh, head. So these are the symptoms of chemical disposal in the area. So we heard them that to, to investigate the case to investigate the case. And those people who are responsible to this chemical dispersal will be taken to justice. Pictures circulated online show chemical spills floating on top of a water pond in one of the locations said to be in Coit County. Quoting confidential environmental reports, the Association Press reported in 2020 that the landscape around the oil fields in South Sudan contains hundreds of flooded waste pits and soil contaminated with toxic chemicals and heavy metals. Joseph Aprikano, the Undersecretary in the National Ministry of Environment, says the ministry is aware of the complaints in Coit County, which has prompted the ministry to carry out an investigation. Environmental audit will be conducted and all the findings, uh, because most of the time people talk of the pollution and pollution, but we cannot just simply uh, start addressing it without having an assessment. So it's very important for us to see the extent of the of the of the pollution, water, air, uh, even animals and humans and all that. So this audit is going to do that. Then, based on the findings, the companies that are responsible for this pollution will be held accountable. And most probably they have to clean up, they also have to pay the damage that they have caused. So that's, that's the position that we need. And hopefully in the next uh, week or so, the Minister of Petroleum will come up with a uh, with, uh, final solution in order to give the companies the contracts to start the environmental.
Center loaded. South Sudan in focus reached out to South Petroleum Operating Company officials for comment. Their known phone numbers were unreachable. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Bor. Rain continued to fall across South Africa's flood-ravaged KwaZulu-Natal province this weekend, disrupting search and rescue efforts. The storm last Monday dumped more than 300 millimeters of rain within 24 hours on the province's coastal region. Rain's fallen steadily since then. The government's recorded almost 450 deaths so far. Scores who were swept away by flood waters and buried in mudslides remain missing. Darren Taylor reports. There are a lot of mountains and deep valleys in KwaZulu-Natal, ensuring that rescue work is grim, says paramedic Candace Krobler. As the mudslides have occurred, people have been entrapped in their houses and their houses have been washed down. Obviously with the flow of the water, with the mud and the rubble, it has washed into the rivers, resulted in the bodies then going down with the currents and the turbulent water into the the ocean and then washing up on the, the beach. The South African Weather Service likened the storm to a cyclone unleashing three-quarters of the country's entire annual rainfall on KwaZulu-Natal's east coast in just one day. It says a catastrophe was thus unavoidable. But the provincial government acknowledges its disaster response teams weren't fully prepared to deal with the floods. Search and rescue and relief efforts have largely been managed by private emergency responders. Director of the Human Aid NGO, Ahmed Osman spoke to reporters in Durban shortly after returning from a village he said floods had wiped off the earth. They actually described like a tsunami wave that came, a landslide that came down through a valley and swept hundreds of families. They Till today, they're digging for family members. I mean, it's a few days, it's almost a week, and we're still looking for bodies. So that gives you a sense of... Even government partners, such as South African Communist Party leader Soli Mapaila, say corruption and mismanagement are partly to blame for the scale of the tragedy. The government uh, response to this disaster, it has been less than impressive, precisely because government has auctioned off the economy to the private people who have no respect for the well-being of others. Government needs to build basic capacity to respond to such kind of things uh, in communities. And the but the principal of the University of Johannesburg, Professor Chilidzi Marwala, says the states had almost three decades to do this. Instead, he says, some leaders of the ruling African National Congress have used public funds to enrich themselves, neglecting to equip disaster response teams and failing to maintain essential infrastructure. Walking to any of our downtowns, there's a lot of debt that is just piling and piling. What happens to that debt when the rain comes? Of course, it is going to go into the drainage system. It means the drainage system does not work. It means that when you have floods, the impact of those floods on people's lives, on people's well-being, is going to be severely negative, and we need to do something about that. Civil society organizations and engineers say some of the death and destruction could have been prevented had the provincial government listened to experts when floods hit KwaZulu-Natal in 2017 and 2019. 
Urban planners advised local governments to stop people from building homes on hills and near rivers and to clear blocked drainage systems. To help the province, President Cyril Ramaphosa is releasing a billion rands, almost $70 million. But, says Marwala, the money is going to the same regional government that allegedly looted COVID pandemic relief funds. Whatever resources that are going to be put into place to rebuild KZN, they have to be used for rebuilding KZN, which basically means that our procurement must be as efficient as possible, which means that the amounts must not end up in people's pockets. And Good and, news and, is that the authorities have reopened the port of Durban and have found alternate routes for trucks, allowing fuel, food and other essential items to reach victims. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. That's all for this edition of Health Chat. For the latest news and coverage on the coronavirus pandemic, visit voanews.com. Thank you all for joining us, and special thanks to all our affiliate stations throughout Africa for carrying Health Chat. I'm your host, Linoch Mudu in Washington, with producer Dan Brown. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and strive to make every day a healthy day. in the public interest from VOA Africa. During this pandemic, the World Health Organization and Africa Center for Disease Control say if you have a fever, a cough, or have trouble breathing, you should stay at home and contact a healthcare facility. For more information, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest health news. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa.